Hi, I'm Dan. Hi, I'm Jenny. And this is Rookie Movie Reviews, podcast where we are talking about the top 100 movies of all time as chosen by users of the IMDb site. Uh, today, we watched Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory. What'd you think of Paths of Glory, Jenny? Gotta say, wait, no. Say you... it. I want you to say it. You have to say it. I gotta say, this is one of the top 100 movies of all time. Flawless delivery, as always. Uh, also, a little side note to the intro here. This is episode two of a Stanley Kubrick streak. Yes. So, yes. Uh, so, um, that was just a very dramatic yes you gave me. <laughs> Uh, so we're, there's six Kubrick movies on this list. Last time we watched The Shining, today we're watching Paths of Glory, and it is a 30-year gap. Yeah. This one is 57, and The Shining is 76. 80. So my, oh. my dates were off. It's like a 23-year gap. That's how that math works. What? Shining's 1980. Right. This isn't 57. Oh, 23. Still long. We were both in remedial math. <laughs> That's true. Math is hard, including the subtraction and the addition. I was not in remedial. That's a joke. <laughs> I failed algebra one. Really? Yeah. For I don't one think quarter. I failed in class at all. Oh. oh. That makes sense. I'm still pretty bad at math. You're very smart, so I wouldn't expect you to Anyway. Are you scared by the compliments? Oh, well, thank you so much you're, for saying I'm smart. I appreciate that. And I also think you're smart. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, should we just Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. He is in this. He's the main guy. Yeah, he's uh, Dax. I like how you cut yourself off from saying the rank. I don't know if that was on purpose, but I have multiple scratch outs and rewrites in here. Where I refer to him as Corporal Dax and Colonel Dax, and I just write General, even though there's two generals in the movie, and I tried to write Private for some of the soldiers, and eventually I just kind of just I started saying Soldier Guy or Dax, and just gave up the military ranks altogether. I think the, I think he gets called a lieutenant and a colonel in this movie. Okay. Pugsley is absolutely filthy with catnip right now. Oh, weird. I wonder how that happened. Look at the new scene. It's coated His face? In... No, it's side here. Oh, <laughs> he must have rolled in it. He's breaded. Ah! He's breaded with catnip. He's a little Italian meatball. <laughs> um. Yeah, so, okay, so he's referred to a couple different things. I don't really understand military rankings. I know lieutenant and colonel. So I think it's private. I'm not I'm not going to get into it. I know private is very entry level. Yes. And then lieutenant is high. Yes. And then the top one is general. And there's two generals in this movie. That's as far What's as... What's a corporal? Corporal? I have no idea. I don't know if that's above What's, or below lieutenant. What about lieutenant. a colonel? Colonel, I think, is... I think Colonel is one below General. Okay. Because, spoiler, I guess just to say at the end, Dax is offered General. 
So he must not be too far off of general, and he's a colonel. I think he's majority referred to as a colonel in the movie. I think this is just army. Yes. And that's something I'm just realizing now. Every, like, this is the French army in World War I. Mm -hmm. And it's the same ranks as the U.S. Army. I just kind of feel like people... I bet it's translated. Yeah, but also, it is translated, (laughs) but also... Like the British Army when we watched 1917. Yeah. There's a, they say lieutenant instead of lieutenant, but same ranks. Yeah, I, th- I think they're... I just mouthed the word really for our listeners. Yeah, really. British I... people say lieutenant. They also say colonial. Yes, but not for colonel. No. <laughs> Colonies! <laughs> Oh, how colonial. (laughs) Crumpets. You had me going on that. I'm so funny. Okay, so it's France. Oh, it's technically Germany. Well, no, it's France. It's the war. Uh, So it's 1916. And it's France. Yes. So the opening, (laughs) there's this voiceover... Oh, right. It talks about trench warfare mm -hmm. and how it's terrible and people are dying. It's also in black and white, which kind of threw me. Like, Mm -hmm. I knew it was older. I didn't know how how old, but it came out in 57. It's a black and white movie. And I'll admit, I was worried going into it that it was going to be super boring and really dry. Uh, And I was very pleased at the hour and a half runtime because I thought, oh, at least it'll be over quick if I hate it. So I think that's a really good point because I don't know movies have gotten better. I'd say yeah. there are certainly classics out there like this one, and I think Casablanca's on the list. Yeah, not to mention a bunch of uh, Charlie Chaplin movies. Right, but I used to watch the Red Skelton show with my grandpa, and that wasn't that funny, and it was all in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll see how those Charlie Chaplin ones go. Do we have to watch a Charlie Chaplin one? Yeah, like three of them are on what? the list. There's Modern Times and then uh, a couple others. Aren't the those... Great Dictator. Oh, God, I didn't know we'd have to get away from talkies. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, for our film edification. It's It'll be a good time. I, I commiserate with the look of unease <laughs> on your face, but... Uh, I think... What's They're pretty short. They're like an hour and 40 minutes or something. Is that one with the moon? Paper moon? No, not paper moon. That one, uh... The classic one? No, like one of the earliest ever where the rocket is in the moon's eye or whatever. Yeah. No, that's that's not on the list. That doesn't seem long enough anyway. Right. I It'll don't know. It'll be a feature length. Feature length. Um... People used to pay a nickel to watch 15 minutes of animation. Exactly. <laughs> uh, How uncivilized. No, quite quite colonial. Indeed. <laughs> yes. Yes. Perfect. So this opening scene, we get the voiceover, talks about trench warfare, and then we see the two generals talking. There's Brulard, who's... Uh, a portly general is how I pinned him immediately because they're both generals. And it's 1916, so they would use the word portly. Yes, they're both jockeying for power or whatever. Yeah. And this 
partly general kind of demands in very polite terms that the other general, who I assume has fewer stars, takes this objective called the anthill. Mm -hmm. And when he tells him, will you take the anthill, the general Miro, I believe is his name. Yep. He says, oh, that's impossible to take. I don't have the men for it. My men are exhausted. They trusted me to make the right decisions for them. I cannot take it. And then the portly general, Brulard, says, well, there is a star in it for you, and they're thinking of putting you on some special team or whatever, the 12th Corps or something. And he's then he says he'll do it. So he's very clearly influenced by this game in stature. And they both kind of just sit there and agree that they're very honorable and doing this for the good of the country. Yes. After this, not after this, I, I just want to talk about this scene. There's a scene where they're going through the trenches. Yeah, this is this, after, yeah. Oh, it's okay. And I really like it because after watching 1917, the single shot of people in a trench, I just really appreciate Especially back in the 60s, what they would have had to do to get such a long shot as they weave through the trenches. And I thought this was pretty impressive filmmaking, especially since 1917 almost got an Oscar for doing it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I felt the same exact thing because we see the general going through this trench and it is one take. It's super long. He's greeting all these people. And I'm glad you pointed out how how much like 1917 evokes this because there's a couple scenes early on here in the trench bits where I just couldn't stop thinking about 1917. Yeah. And, and of course, Steve, uh, Sam Mendez's 1917. Yes. Not not something else. Another yeah. movie. Good call out. Yeah. I, I did not remember the director of that one, but uh, good recollection there. But yeah, totally great point. Slow take through, or super long, fast take through the trenches. They kind of talk about the concept of being a ninny before this walkthrough, and then they meet a guy who's shell-shocked. And there's two points I want to make real quick. One, the cut from the super fancy estate house, where they're talking about this battle that they need to take, and then the gritty trenches with explosions and bullets and injured people. And then he walks through. And the second point is he meets a shell-shocked soldier. And the guy says, oh, he's just a little, little shell-shocked. And the general freaks out and he's like, he's not shell-shocked. He's a coward. He's scum. Get him out of here. Yeah, and there's no such thing as shell-shock. Exactly. And Also, that's a tongue twister. Sh- no such thing as shell-shock sh- shell alone. Yeah. I feel like saying shell-shuckle. Sh- sh- Shuckle. That's a Pokemon. Sushi and sashimi. Or, no, uh, whitefish is not sashimi grade. Uh, And, okay, we also talk about how for the Antil, he might lose, like, half his men. Yes, it's, it's, um, there's, there's a couple pretty on-the-nose characterizations, I'd say. It's not super subtle, but they're, they're standing here and they talk about how the general is, he's like looking through the periscope at the anthill, the 
the goal of the campaign or whatever. Yeah. And as he's doing this, a group of severely injured soldiers walk by and he's like, not so bad of an objective. And as he says that, this group of people with like head wounds mm-hmm. and stuff walks by. It's like, okay, uh, I get it. Good work, real nice. And they talk about the number of casualties when a reinforcement platoon or something comes in. And the major refers to the own, his own soldiers as animals and dogs. And this is when they're meeting with Dax. So I guess I'm kind of jumping ahead here. Oh, it's fine. But they, they go in to meet with Dax. They learn of casualties. And the major calls them animals. And Dax is like, I think of them as humans, actually. And we're like, okay, this is the hero. These guys are disconnected and all that right. stuff. Um... And this is what you mentioned with the odds of survival. You know, they're, oh, yeah. they're basically hashing out percentages mm-hmm. to get to the get to the wire, get over no man's land, take the objective, and by the end they're at like forty percent survivors or something. Yeah, something and, something really low. But if they take the anthill, it's a huge victory against the Germans who currently have the anthill. Exactly, and um, there was one real funny point here where. They set up the odds between the general and the colonel where the colonel makes a remark about some poet's views of patriotism. And I forget what the exact terminology he uses is, but he basically refers to the general as a scoundrel because the general is touting the glory of France in this objective and the colonel is saying it's going to be incredibly costly for my men and you're basically sending us on a suicide mission. Mm-hmm. general says, oh, it's for France. And the guy says... Patriotism is the last vestige of scoundrels, and they get in this big old argument, and the general basically tells him, do it, or I'm relieving you of duty. Yeah, he'll get furloughed. Permanently furloughed. Which is a word we've been hearing a lot these days. Yeah, no fun, but very pertinent to the the movie. What, What were you trying to do? I had a knot in my hair tie. Uh, Yeah, I saw this. You're pulling this... uh, Thin, strained part of the hair tie really hard. I'm like, oh, she's trying to rip it. And it rips. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> really thought that was the end goal. Are we keeping that in? We don't have to. You're Who editing knows? it. Anyway. Okay. So. Oh, even a lieutenant got. Okay, so. Um. It's going to be big deaths, as expected. Yeah. And even though a lieutenant was killed... Do you remember that part? No. What happened? Uh, I was hoping you'd remember that part. Oh, you just kind of wrote down lieutenant killed or whatever? <laughs> oh, the the overland like crawl thing? Yes. Okay, yeah. So there's the lieutenant that gets killed because the colonel is basically strong-armed into doing this mission. And then he sends a lieutenant, who I think is named Garou, Lieutenant Garou, the mustachioed guy who's kind of throughout the movie. Oh. As being the... Um, Rousseau? Something like, some French guy. He's he's this main dude, Rousseau or Garou. Um, the guy who dies is named Lejean. Ah. So the yes. Colonel Dax sends three men out over the trench to do some recon for the attack. Right. And they go out, and Lieutenant Garou or Rousseau... It, it's not Rousseau. I messed okay. up. And then he throws the grenade. Yeah. Okay. So this two things happen here. 
Garou. I'm just gonna say Garou because yeah. that feels. Well, hold on. Roger. Roger. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, so Dax. Uh, before the attack, uh, there's a few late-night scouting people, and there's a lieutenant named Roger, and he sends two men ahead, but he gets freaked out, and he throws a grenade and retreats. And then the other person, the Corporal Paris, finds the body of the, one of the scouts, and the one that got killed by the grenade, and he confronts Roger. Do you want? Yeah, so, uh, like you say, Lejeune gets killed, and then afterwards they're debating what charges are going to come to one another. So, Roger basically tries to bribe Paris into saying, you know, that it's not going to do anything to bring this up against me. He acknowledges that he probably did kill Lejeune, but it's really not worth it to even argue and Paris is like you did kill that guy so um what do you say was this the scene on the staircase no this was still in the trenches okay so okay okay they return from the scouting mission and Roger is like oh you made it back like all buddy buddy and the guy says you killed him um and they they basically threaten one another with the charges that will be levied at one another and this is all to serve the fact that the Commander, Lieutenant Roger, does not like Paris. And before they go on the scouting trip, Paris even mentions, we went to school together and he didn't like me then. Um, and then the, the colonel comes in to collect the report and Paris is strong-armed in the line. So uh, that all kind of uh, segues into the corporal, or the colonel. I, this is where I screwed up. Colonel Dax discusses the battle plan with a group of soldiers. Oh, okay. And That's says, okay. yeah, a bunch of soldiers are kind of saying, you know, what are we going to what are we going to do when this happens and Dax is like the conversation is basically all of his subordinates are saying, well, this doesn't make sense because of X Y and Z. This seems like a bad plan. Mm-hmm. And Dax just says, yeah, I agree. And like so a bunch of us are going to die and Dax is like, yeah. For sure. I'm not afraid of dying. Yeah, that's a great conversation uh, that happens just after this scene. Do you want to kind of cover that? No, go ahead. I've just covered the last one, so I insist. I... Anna, I have a confession. What? Fell asleep. Fell asleep during this one? I don't blame it. Like, it's 57. (laughs) It was pretty slow. Um, Okay, so (laughs) this conversation that happens just after... Is probably my favorite part of the movie. Oh, and you didn't want to talk about it? Well, I was just rambling what before. What if I butchered it? Then I would have uh, jumped in and been annoying and clarified. <laughs> <laughs> so these two soldiers who we have not met just yet, but one of them is Paris, I believe. I didn't quite catch it. It was black and white in nighttime. Uh-huh. But they're sitting there whispering and they're arguing about their fear of death. And one guy is saying, you don't fear death. You fear getting hurt. And they're basically comparing notes of, would you rather be shot or stabbed with a bayonet? 
Yeah, so... Okay, I was like, not asleep for that scene. I just didn't write anything down. Yeah, so it was a great scene, right? And they're kind of talking about death and dying and the fear of death. And I thought it was really, uh, really impactful to see these two people who are uh, going to die imminently kind of talking about how they would like to die. And they're not afraid of this doomed attack, but they are rather afraid of the possibility of dying in one way over another. I, I thought it was really effective and I thought it was my favorite because it was so frantic and hushed and just between these two soldiers who are in the shit rather than generals and uh, corporals talking about the shit. Um, oh, real quick before we move on, uh, as far as generals in the shit, there's multiple times before where General Miro talks about how dedicated to his men he is and then we see him double cross them and agree to the attack and he's also saying i dislike armchair generals you need to be on the battlefield and then every time we see him he's in some bunker watching like he's such a hypocrite yeah and he's such a bad dude and a bad leader he's a good villain for the for the movie i think i'm too biased against black and white movies because i just have this feeling that there will be no substance yeah. But this movie does a great job. It's a great movie. Would I have liked it more if it was in color? Maybe. I, I know what you mean, because coming into this, like I said, I was worried about it and relieved at the runtime. Yeah. And it's just, well, it'll be over quick. I just think of these people talking about dames and their hard lives. Yeah. And this one was pretty intense character study, actually, like... I don't know if character study is the right term. It's more of like a critique of humans, I well, guess. Yeah, I, get, I, I have a... I mean, it's not a problem because it's representative of the times, but the way that there's essentially no women in this movie, mm-hmm. I think, didn't do it for me. Yeah, it's very much one specific group of people. It's not even... White men. Yeah. It's not even men. It is white men. and White Christian men. We probably sound like SJWs, you know, or like in the over the top what red pill people think of SJWs as. Okay. But because it's like, yeah, it's a World War I movie, but also the entire world was affected by World War I. Not just, yeah. The movie was about soldiers, so it makes sense because they didn't let women be soldiers back then. Mm -hmm. Until the very end, spoiler alert, where a woman is brought in to serve as a savior to all the men or serve as a conduit of humanity uh, for them. So, I don't know. I just... Anyhow, we'll burn... No, no. You just what? Just don't like it when a man tries to brush away my thoughts and feelings. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fine. What did you want to say? No, we can move on. I... I'll have comprehensive thought. Okay. So, um, the attack happens, right? So we, we see them whisper about their fear of death. Next scene, the attack is going on. Colonel Dax is walking through the trenches as 
they're getting bombarded with artillery and he hears the countdown and they jump over what i thought was cool was that dax was the first one over uh very indicative of look at this leader as opposed to general Monroe. dax is the first one over leading the charge and they have a really slow crawl across this battlefield people are dying pretty intense scene and uh, there was one cool shot where it was like a sideways tracking shot as Dax crawled over dirt and stuff and we stuck on him in the middle and for a pretty long time of him crawling and I thought it was very visually cool it struck me as modern as opposed to kind of what you were alluding to I believe where old movies are just two people sitting in suits talking back and forth yeah yeah this is like he's crawling we get this dynamic shot watching him and it's really intense. The explosions, though. Explosions. Uh, you know, practical effects. You have to give them their dues. Mm-hmm. Can't CGI anything in 1957. There aren't computers, really. Right. So I'm. I. I don't think it's fair to knock this movie down a peg for working with what they have. I think this movie could have been in color because it was 1957 and I know there was color available. I don't know how much of a bigwig Stanley Kubrick was. I don't know why he couldn't afford Technicolor back then. But Kirk Douglas, Kirk Douglas was in a talkie that didn't have any color. Crazy. Out, outrageous. So not going to knock him down for working with what they had. Uh, but by current standards, not convincing. Yeah. Not to mention this, the sounds of the explosions. <laughs> they were definitely repeated. It sounded like they had yeah. four different explosion noises. Maybe we should look up the budget for this movie. I suppose. Um, I was actually reading the Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. The budget was a million, like around a million. In 1957 dollars? Yes. Okay. And it roughly broke even as far as That's profit goes. funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, I so. always think it's funny when a movie breaks even, especially um, I don't know if they did it back in the 50s, but the way that they budget movies now, you can still be at a loss, even though at the box office you are a breakout hit because the way they do accounting, they don't want to give the actors the bonuses that they would get allotted if they made so much above what the production costs were. Oh, really? I yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's very common. Um, I don't know how the exact math works, but... If you, if they would have broken even back then, I wonder how much money anyone made. Maybe not a lot. I have no idea, like, movie economy. Oh, it's crazy. Hollywood's crazy. I believe it. Not to mention all the guilds you have to be in to be represented and all that shit. I was looking up, because I was curious, did this get nominated for anything? And then looking up this movie for its awards and all that, it was not nominated for an Oscar but I was looking at the Oscars for that year, and there was a cinematography and um, directing category, one for black and white and one for color. Oh. So they had those categories split based on whether or not you decided to use color for your movie. So. I guess it's... I mean, if somebody made a black and white movie today, like Roma, it has so much more statement to it than it would have back then, but there still must have been a choice to not make it in color versus... Black and white. I mean, Clerks was made in black and white, and that was the 90s? Yeah, I believe... I don't know. I I feel like if you make a drama in black and white, like you point out Roma, 
there there must be intentionality behind it or i think you're going to be criticized of being hokey and just doing it for some sort of fake artistry i think kevin james did it because honestly technicolor was too expensive for his super low budget film and yeah the 90s still had the 90s still had that little shine of being able to make a non-technicolor film like you could still buy non-colored film i don't think you could do that now because everything's digital and i don't i think you have to put more effort into make something black and white than to technicolor it like the lighthouse oh yeah the lighthouse is another good example of a black and white one that also had um i forget the, the aspect ratio 10 yeah. 9 yeah the bo- something, basically something. a box i yeah, don't yeah, know yeah. the numbers but big black bars on the side which was awesome. Yeah, very, very cool aesthetic choice. Um, when I was re-watching some old Disney movies, uh, like Don't Look Under the Bed, because yeah. I'm a film snob and <laughs> <laughs> the true artistry of the era. Uh, yeah, so I, th- I think we're luckily at an age where we can still ignore it, but I wonder about some of the younger people. Like, will they be able to watch these movies, you know? I mean, hopefully, hopefully, but... By these movies, do you mean something like Don't Look Under the Bed or something like Paths of Glory? <laughs> no, Don't Look Under the Bed, the cinematic masterpiece of our generation. No, Paths of Glory. Because I even took this as like an English 101 kind of thing that I'd have to... Like a classroom yeah. chore. Yeah, like a yeah. classroom chore. So perfectly put, even though we got to watch like Willy Wonka in the classroom. Yeah. But this... Like, you know it's going to be heavy, which I like movies, I like films, so having a heavy movie isn't necessarily negative, but it's an old movie, it's black and white, how's the acting going to be? And I was surprised, I was surprised with how enjoyable it was, even though I did fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Um, It's because I am a... Piece of shit. <laughs> a little sleepy. Oh, sleepy sleep. Okay. So they're army crawling through the trenches, much like me, to get bottles of water. And <laughs> it's a little inside joke. That's just yeah. for me and Dan. Yeah, uh, so there's large explosions as they go through, and they're going to whistle for the attack. And it's a shit show, obviously. Terrible, terrible. So they try to get through mo- No Man's Land. And they can't. And that's the area between... I think it's defined as their wire to the Germans' wire. That's agreeable, yeah. Because later on it gets brought up. And they can't really get beyond that. Mm -hmm. So they all start retreating. And the first wave gets bombarded. So the B wave... I think it's A and B. So B wave doesn't want to go through at all. So they're all holed up and... Miro sees this, and this is supposed to be his star-earning charge on the anthill. And he, what does he suggest, Dan? What does he say to do? He tells his radio operator to tell artillery to bomb their own position to kind of force them out of the trenches. And the artillery person says, I'm not doing that until I get a written order from the general. Yep. General gets on the horn and he says, do it. This is the general. And the artillery guy, he was so cool because he's stone cold. He's like, no, he wasn't even phased at saying no to the general. He's like, as soon as you give me a written order, then I'll do it. But if you die, where does that leave me, you know? So just this badass, heroic guy. So good. 
And, uh, yeah. Moreau obviously refuses to give him a written order. He threatens mm-hmm. him, though. He'll court-martial him. Yep. He's throwing out court-martials like crazy. Yeah. There is one thing that was funny um, in the on-the-nose sense. This hill that they're trying to take... Oh, no. ...is <laughs> called the Ant Hill. And it's just so... I totally knew. <laughs> they're making mountains. Yeah. They're making mountains out of anthills. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not the joke I was going to make. I wasn't oh. going to make a joke. That's a really good joke. Thank you. Uh, just the fact that the objective is named such an insignificant thing and they're building up such a important level of uh, human life loss to take it is... Maybe it was clever for 57, but now it's just like, oh, the real nice, the anthill, you know, real clever. But just want to throw that out. So artillery man will not fire. The men don't run. He court marshals all of them. Mm-hmm. Well, he tries to. Um, he wants to set an example. Yeah. Is this the scene where they're kind of bartering execution rates? Yes. Yep. Um. So it's an incontestable fact that these men were cowardly. Oh, man. Pugsley really wants the phone off our recording candle. Get down. <laughs> I'm a gremlin. Okay, so incontestable fact. Uh, the, uh, there were cowards there, and he wants everyone... He wants, like, a hundred plus people to yeah, be executed. One, one man more than a hundred. So, he wants quite a few men to be killed for this, because mm-hmm. uh, they didn't charge for cowardice. And the, um, God, what's the bigwig? He comes up again. General Brulard. Brulard uh, tries to talk him down a little bit. And they're negotiating men who are going to die for this folly, because, oh, we didn't talk about it, but obviously the charge failed. Um, I don't think firing on his own men would have helped. No, probably would have made it worse. They would have lost a lot more people. So, they would have lost a lot more people. I'm shuffling so much, I don't know what what room is going to have to be cut out. Uh, so many people get killed. And Briard... Yes. Briard uh, finally talks him down from like hundreds of men to one representative from each wave or something yeah so uh what happens is that a lieutenant from each wave has to pick a guy and the first dude is picked i forget how the first dude is picked but uh the second dude is picked specifically this was the dude who went on the night ranging in no man's land Mm -hmm. and survived and accused uh roger of killing the other dude So, Roger picks that guy. Yes. And then the third guy was picked by random lots. Yeah, Um, which is important. Exactly. So, Dax is going to defend these men in the court-martial. Yeah, he decides that he's going to be their representative. And the court-martial begins, and all I wrote down for the court-martial is that it is supremely frustrating to watch. Yes, that is fair. Um... Yeah, he want he wants them to act like brave shoulders. Okay, Dax talks to them while they're down in jail. 
I would say the dungeon, but that's not... It looks like a dungeon. It does look like a dungeon, which is on purpose. But it's like a hayloft. I don't know. It's it's somewhere to keep prisoners. And he's talking to them. And he tells them how they're going to have to act. They're going to have to act like brave men. Because if they get seen to be as cowards... If they are seen as cowards, then... If they're seen as cowards, then it just embellishes the narrative that Moreau is setting forth. And they're going to have it at no, some, some point in day where the sun's going to get in their eyes. So they have to look into the sun. They have mm. to be brave. And they can't look like dogs. No dogs. Yeah. Can't look hangdog. Hangdog. Um, so he's trying to give them this pep talk because he's pretty much confident that he'll save them. Which I think sets the tone for what we expect is going to happen to the soldiers. Because he expects them to have some kind of uh, ex... I was going to say ex machina. What is it? Ex machina? Is it ex machina? Yeah. Ex machina is correct. Deus ex machina. Deus ex machina. Of a last second save out of nowhere. Yeah. Deus ex machina. And we expect that to happen. We think Dax is a hero he definitely gets portrayed in this heroic light because he's this moral compass and he obviously knows he obviously knows good from evil right from wrong he's a stand-up soldier he's what you think an american hero would american hero (laughs) french hero uh would be like he's brave uh quick-witted and merciful and then um, we get to see the boys in prison, <laughs> and it's sad as hell. <laughs> yeah, so this is after the court-martial, right? Where yep. they're all sentenced. Yeah, they get sentenced. Dax goes down there to um, give them a speech, essentially. Yeah, so they we see real quick the execution plan being formed. Uh Just a quick cutaway from one of the lieutenants. And then prisoners get their last meal. It's roast duck or something. Yeah. And they kind of discuss death. Well, they discuss about how the duck might be drugged so they don't fight. Yeah, they they don't want to feel sluggish. Well, one of them plans on escaping at some point. He says, Dax will pull through for us. And there are various places of... There are varying levels of French. Yeah, they're (laughs) they're very despair. They all look very... Like, okay, two of the guys look super American, and then one guy looks Slavic. Yeah. There's one dude, the Slavic-looking guy. He's got heavy brow. He has a very deep voice. And I saw a fun fact about this movie. Oh, yeah. Is that he was apparently an actor who was super hard to work with. And at one point in the shoot, he allegedly faked his own kidnapping. (laughs) So he was replaced with a body double. For shooting the final scenes, yeah. which is nuts, because this guy probably has the—he's very unique looking, and he's got the most emotional conclusion. I guess he's—he's he's guy who accepts it. I disagree. The least. Yeah, he accepts it the least. But so, yeah. So I—I I guess I misspoke. It's not the most emotional conclusion, but the most is riding on him to act distraught and he's gonna have the most demanding performance stopped your foot sorry about that just readjusting i promise not to step on your foot again that's staying in no good so (laughs) priest comes to bless him 
Give them last rites. Give them last rites. Thank you. And I bless you. Now die. Now die. Exactly. And the guy says, I don't want to pray now because I feel like a hypocrite. And the priest essentially says, don't be afraid to ask for credit. Oh, wait, no. I, I got this screwed up. I wrote down in my notes, do not be afraid to ask for credit. So what that is pertaining to is one guy accepts that he can request to be saved. And the third guy who was drawn by Lot is getting really drunk. And he says, a bar in my hometown had a sign that said, don't be afraid to ask for credit because we are very polite in how we refuse. So he's basically disparaging the priest and the priest's role. And he gets drunk enough and he takes a swing at the priest. Oh, yeah. Yes. And then one guy has to knock him out because he's belligerent. He's fighting. And this punch, he falls backwards and fractures his skull and becomes comatose. Yes. Well, he fractures his skull and then they get a doctor down there. And he says, the doctor says that the injury is so bad that he might not make it through the night. Yeah. And that he suggests strapping him to the gurney so he doesn't topple out when you turn it over. Yeah. As in, he's still going to be shot (laughs) and killed even like... I forget if it's right now or later, but one of the lieutenants says, when he gets up there, pinch his cheeks. Yeah, they say it now. So he's awake Mm -hmm. to be shot. The general wants him conscious. Mm -hmm. And it's like, damn, this guy's cold. One thing right after this is when Dax calls Roger to his quarters. Yeah, that's right after. Yes. Want to cover it? No, go ahead. So he calls in Roger. What we see is that Dax calls in Roger to run the firing squad, which will execute these three men because it's beginning to look more and more like they're not going to get out of it. And I like how Dax, he knows what's up because the guy who was drawn by or picked by Roger has told Dax at this point about their disagreement and the uh, the execution, so to speak, in No Man's Land. And Dax has said at this point in the movie, we'll look into that after this whole cowardice thing, but it's not related to why you were picked and what you have to do. He's running into the microphone, so he's probably causing some ruffling noises on the phone. <laughs> offended that we moved it away from him. Pugsley's part of this podcast as much as we are. So this scene I like a lot because he is definitely in command of Roger and he knows what's up and he is describing this brutal execution process. So I'm going to go back to when he calls him. So, uh, Dax... You would have had to anyway, shuffling bitch. Dax calls Roger into his quarters and tells him, you're going to be commanding the firing squad. And then describes the brutal act of carrying it out and tells him he's going to have to shoot each person in the head. And I like this scene of kind of justice because Dax knows that it will probably torment Roger. That's how I read it. PTSD. Oh. Give him a kiss of PTSD. 
Yes, I think that's going to be the side effect. But at this point, I guess Dax is, just sees him as a criminal who is not deserving of you know leadership. He's like a bad guy at this point. Yeah, and he specifically asked, he asked to not have that duty. Yes. So, and, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> and Dax says, declined. <laughs> it's all you. So. Just a big stamp on his... Military papers, you're going to kill some boys. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this scene ends with Rousseau, the artillery commander, coming in and... He's got news. He's got news. He's got news. He's got some secrets to share. What, uh, what... Max got news. Max got news. Max in the house. Max, Max in, in the, the house. house. Max got news? No, I thought you guys had news. You were so excited <laughs> when I got here. Okay, but. anyway, we really like It's Always Sunny. All right, so... Next up, we cut to this huge ballroom dance, which is some great juxt... Uh, <clears throat> Next, we cut to this ballroom dance, which is some top-tier juxtaposition over what we've just been through. The prisoners, the Rus... Uh, not Rousseau, Rosé. Roger. Roger. And then Rousseau is the artillery guy. Right. So, juxtaposition with death is this dance party. Super great. Some of the dancers were a little stiff. That's not their fault. It's 1957. <laughs> not all the extras are going to be on point. I didn't have the pizzazz you wanted from this. No, scene. I wanted more pizzazz. I wanted, I wanted fountains of shrimp. And those are thick fountain hoses. <laughs> I know. <laughs> What's that tiered shrimp cocktail? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, pyramid of. A pyramid, glasses a pyramid. or whatever. Yeah. Oh, you were looking for the word pyramid. Okay. Instead um, of uh, a pyramid of champagne glasses filled with cocktail sauce and shrimp. Yes, and then a fountain of champagne. And some fondue. Chocolate or cheese? Cheese. It's just fun. cheese and chocolate. Half and the one. Half pot. of it is chocolate. The other half is cheese. And for some reason, somebody put the strawberries on the cheese side. And another piece of shit put the bread on the chocolate side. And our guests are going to be so confused. I would try both of those. <laughs> I don't think strawberries and cheese would be good. Well, feta. But you can't really fondueize feta, can you? Yeah, we're talking fluorescent nacho cheese. Government and... cheese. Yes, because Which... these are government men. <laughs> <laughs> it's Velveeta all the way down, baby. Anyway... <laughs> Um, Dax goes to meet with, um, Burr, Burr something. We gotta protect this garbage. Okay. Dax shows up and meets with Brulad. Okay. Oh, Dax shows up and meets with Brulad. At the party. At the party. It is Brulard's Bru... <sighs> okay, I have such... General, General B? GB. Okay. Gerard Butler. Perfect. Underrated actor. Okay. Uh, I don't think he's underrated. I <sighs> just want to take a moment and talk about how bad I am with names. Okay. Uh, like Ariadne. From... Inception. Inception, yes. And now Bruyard. Uh, Brulard. Brulard. It's Brulard, so Brulard. I think it's like Brulard... I don't know how you would say I this French I took name. Spanish. I did too. Let's, I'm fine with Brulard or GB or 
I'll butcher Roulard. Portly general. No. Well, whatever. He's evil. Well, is he evil or is he a man? Man is evil. (laughs) Man is good. So anyway, Dax goes to meet with Roulard after, during the dance. It's Roulard's dance and it's the night before the execution. And he wants to talk to him. And I really like this line from Brulard. Uh, we think we're doing a good job running the war. So I just thought that was peak hypocrisy. Because of course you think you're doing a good job running the war. Yeah. You're in charge of the war. You're in charge of you. You're going to think you're doing a good job. Because we've seen so many men with inflated egos at the top. Truly, everybody at the top. And uh, what's so funny is how... They are putting these three men to death. And his reasoning is, we're under very close scrutiny by our bosses and by politi- like politicians in the news. Yeah. And that's his comparison to the battlefield scene we saw where the soldiers are against death, explosions, bullets, and what they have to deal with is mean words and stuff. So... Just hearing him say this, it's so infuriating and he's so self-absorbed and stuff. And Dax's anger is so visceral and gratifying uh, in response to it. So, yeah. What what ends up happening is that... Oh. I thought another key line from Roulard... Yeah. Is uh, he's talking about shooting the men. The court-martial is discipline to the waves. Yes. And it's the same as a boy wanting his father to be firm. So I think it's doing a really good job of the privileged perspective mm-hmm. of these men at the top. Because theirs is a death of reputation, whereas the men's death is a death of self. This movie's super deep, which I did not expect. Yeah, that's a really good point. And to make it more simple for my speed... Is that uh, just hearing him talk about how a good way to discipline? He says something super candid, such as like one way to maintain discipline is to shoot a man, and he says it so offhand that there's all of this more non-physical ideology, like you mentioned, death of self and all that, which is very intelligent. But then there's also he wants to kill people, ha ha ha, like very <laughs> face level, like I caught. So there, there is a lot to it, yeah. Basically, the well, what general... Dax is facing is the death of self. What do you mean? So if he, so he gets called an idealist by Brulard. Oh, like at the end. Yes, yeah. So it's further on, but okay. uh, there is also the physical death of the men. Yes, that's a. Damn, you're uh, you're in uh, thirty twenty, and I'm, I'm here in twenty twenty. Oh God, the retinol's not working. <laughs> <laughs> you're beautiful. You're very beautiful. Um, okay, so fancy ball. What the fuck? Why are we going back that oh, far? I'm just I'm just uh, <laughs> getting myself out of seat. Fancy okay, ball. Okay. Dax confronts Bullard. He says, "Yeah." I'm, very indifferent about killing. Yeet, bitch. Yeet, bitch. And this scene I, I liked, because this is something that I don't know how to describe 
the perception I have of it. But the death march? Not the death march. The scene, they're walking out of the meeting, and Brillard's like, well, thanks for coming by. Oh. See you tomorrow at the execution. Have a good night. Like You must totally... excuse me. My party guests have been waiting too long. Exactly. So, so like that's, so what, that's what's at the top of his mind. Yeah, exactly. And he's going to leave, and Dax is kind of like, did you think it's weird how Miro ordered artillery to shoot his own men? And there's a scene where the guy's got the door open, and he... Dex says that line about the artillery, and so fluidly he slams the door shut, and the tone just shifts from, I'm so disgusted with Brillard, to I'm so pleased for Dex, having the courage yes. to stand up, and that door slam. Kirk Douglas! Kirk Douglas, and what I'm trying to get to, and Was how... Was he a gladiator? Gladiator. Uh, Spartacus? Spartacus. I think so. I think he played Spartacus. He was also... He's another stuff. Well, Kirk Douglas, yes, he's a very famous actor. I'm, I'm <laughs> of not our a... parents, like our, uh, well, my mom is fifty five, so probably our grandparents would have liked Kirk Douglas. The thing that I'm trying to articulate that I don't know how to articulate is that he is very. It feels very modern. This scene where he's walking away, and then this point comes up, and it's a, such a sudden shift. Yeah. In tone. So, that, that's all I'm trying to say. Now I'm going to attack our cat. And he's got his ass in my drink. What? Don't get scratched. Um. So yeah, just the shift in tone is really awesome. And feels different than a 50s movie. I don't know how to say it, but it I feels think we fresh. just have this bias over older films. Yeah. Because... Like, older games suck, so older movies suck. That, I mean, Skyrim's still awesome. Yeah. And as far as, it's kind of, I mean, Skyrim was 2011. Yeah. This movie is 57. You know, the, <laughs> the scale of... What even, what video games did they have in 57? <laughs> must have been really boring back then. It's just uh, pre-pong. That's crazy. Anyway, it's the 50s. So the three men are collected. The one guy who didn't want to pray breaks down and begs and is told to act like a man. In his Which, toxic masculinity. Because he's like, brace yourself. Yeah. It's like, he's about to die. <laughs> and the guy who told him to brace himself is the guy who picked him to be executed. That was his lieutenant. Yeah, messed up. And he's like, he specifically says, I can't save you, it's too late. Act like a man, damn it. And it's like, dude, you are killing me. Yeah. <laughs> so. I know I know you don't really look at these with the lens of what was it like back then, but even in the fifties, fifty seven, like is this what honor looked like? Would Right? Is this uh <laughs> you know, Brutus falling out his sword or some shit? Yeah. Like it's it is very weird. And the whole time I just I was having that same exact thought, like did this shit happen? Did they? Oh, just, this shit happened. Like they just executed people. Yeah. For it, it feels so Cowardice. bizarre. Yeah, if for if you were um, a deserter. This did lend a new kind of light on, because I I can't think of any examples, but I've seen stuff where men are being probably in Game of Thrones, right? So sure, the, honor the beginning of Game of Thrones. 
those the guy is put to death for fleeing the Night's Watch yes. by Ned Stark. He's like, oh, you you abandon your post, I sentence you to death, and he kills him. But he beheads him. Yeah, Ned Stark didn't see the shit out there, you know. No. And it's just like General Mio. He he didn't see the shit out. Is it of Oathkeeper? Him. Um, Ned Stark's great sword is called Ice, and ice. it's melted down into uh, Heartsbane for Joffrey and Oathkeeper for Jamie. So cool. Yes, because it's a great ice, sword. Ice, ice, ice. Yeah, a two-handed blade. Yeah, not for combat, but beheading. Is used in beheadings. So I sentence you to die. Yeah. So honor. I mean, that's supposed to be the fourteen. Maybe's. Yeah, I have no idea about that. Medieval times. Medieval shit. But with dragons. Oops. Well, there used to be dragons. Spoilers. We just haven't seen them. Yes. Uh, dragon is a king's food. And I am a street urchin. That's three in one episode. Riff raff. Street rat. Where are we? So. <laughs> <laughs> the three men are collected and they're marched out to a firing squad. And they're brought down this big thoroughfare of yeah men. it's like a courtyard and there's a couple platoons worth of men who are gonna watch these guys die and then a few rows of shooters yes and so just the shots of like the rows and then the faraway shots of the the posts that they're gonna be tied to oh god yeah it's so heavy yeah if i don't really have it frames a, it yeah exactly that's what that's what i'm looking for like the context of everything that's going on. It's vast. It's shit. It's it's vast, and I don't have an eye for cinematography and shit like that. But I don't think I do either. This but I think feels we feels good. There... To see. <laughs> like... Yeah, exactly. So like, you can tell it's a good director when lay people, because I'm a girl, uh, when laymen like us look at it and be like, "Ooh, that's impactful." And I can tell that's impactful because of the symbolism of far away. And, you know, when you look at the stars, and the stars make you feel so insignificant, Mm -hmm. that's what this scene felt like. Yeah, all these men, and then the death at the end. Yeah, death. Yeah. Because they they symbolize death. Yeah, these posts, and... So simple, but so deep. So they... God damn it, Kubrick. You've done it again. (laughs) (laughs) You did it again. So they get marched down. The priest is consoling this big guy who's... In tears about how he doesn't want to die. Why can't any of them die? It's very poignant because, you know, uh, he these three men are representing three platoons, which these guys are literally at the bottom of the shit pyramid. Yeah. They get ordered to do something that doesn't work, and it didn't work, so they're killed for it. Like, the injustice is so infru- so frustrating. They get tied up, and there's something... So bizarre about the scene. So they're tied up, and we get the shot from where we're on the side of the guy who's in the gurney. Yeah, we for, we forgot to fuck with the line that the man you stabbed in the back is a soldier. Oh no, that. that oh shit! That I'm is sorry. At the end, yes. Okay, we're good. I'm sorry. Oh, don't be. So the men are walking. Cut this. Cut this, you dumb bitch. <laughs> so the scene that I thought was so cool, and I think that this is another mark of good cinematography or good blocking or something. Yeah. But they've got the three posts, and the scenario with the guy having the skull fracture is that he's in a gurney, and he's passed out, 
propped up against this thing. One dude wants to be blindfolded. One dude doesn't. So the shot you get... The dude that doesn't... I We're ignoring his story, I think, a lot. That's fair. What, what do you want to say about him? So this guy um, was chosen by Lot? He was chosen by Roger. Roger, okay. Sorry. So this man gets specifically selected to die because of a feud. Yes. Uh, he has a wife and a child. And he he went to charge, but he got hit in the head. Yeah. So he wasn't even... He didn't get a chance to be a coward or brave. All he did was get hit in the head and he fell back. And there was no one to substantiate... There were no witnesses that he got hit in the head and fell back. So he got judged the same way as everybody else. Like, mm-hmm. how do we know that injury wasn't self-inflicted? When obviously that's silly. Yes. Um, So he has a wife and a child. He's down there. He doesn't seem to be the angriest. He talks about how he's like, oh, I'm a, not much of a prayer. But he, like, gives into Christianity. Like, he confesses to the preacher at the end, which I think in the 50s would have been a big deal because they were super about God. Mm-hmm. So a man turning to God uh, would have been a more heroic character because of, you know, what religion symbolizes. So him... Giving in to religion, accepting God before his departure has a lot more symbolism than what you and I would take in 2020. And then when the men come, they have... The men. When they come later, that that fat guy later with a canteen, he comes and the morning of, and he talks to him like, how was the night? The guy doesn't respond. And he's just trying to like keep up the chit chat. And he's like, how about a drink? And then he breaks down. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that is bravery. Like trying to not... He's trying to face his death. He does cry because holy shit he's going to die. And then the whole toxic masculinity of don't cry, don't be a bitch. And <laughs> the guy, he at the end is super stoic. And it's very apparent because he's stoic. Other guy is blindfolded and crying. Other dude is passed out on a gurney. So he is actually facing death now. So he's actually showing bravery. Like, he knows death is going to happen. And he's just reacting to it with stoicism. That's a really good point. Yeah, I I kind of took for granted how much inherent symbolism could be just in the visual ability and the consciousness of the other two. And also the guy who sentences him to death, essentially Roger, his commanding officer, asks him if he wants a blindfold and he says no. And Roger apologizes and backs away. And this ties into what I was saying earlier with the shot, how it's probably an indicator of good cinematography where you're looking at something and you're like, this would be an amazing painting or photo just good composition yeah like it's so bizarre like a dude's in a gurney mm-hmm. guys blindfolded mm-hmm. and they're all on a firing squad like what the hell led to this you know what a bizarre scene and what what a weird circumstance the guy in the gurney really completes the whole thing uh-huh. and uh just an amazing shot and then as you point out the guy being incredibly stoic facing death i feel like this is a good time to point out with um, 
just doing some back research, or as in reading the Wikipedia article about <laughs> this movie, he, the movie is based off a book, which is based off a title off of a poem, and the final line of the poem is you you read the poem and you said it's all very death and destruction, it's horrible anti-war, and then the final line of the poem is paths of glory lead to the grave. So I wonder with all that stuff he said about his journey, the specific character's journey, you know, he's got a wife, kids, he's been to the depths of despair, he's accepted God, he's facing death now. Um, Like, is that a stand-in kind of for the path of glory, so to speak, where, you know, he's been to war, he's uh, lived a full life as as a man, you know, he's... As a man to 40 can live. Yeah, exactly, in World War One, But... <laughs> I don't know. And then uh, the big, it kind of felt like a twist almost, how they were truly It did feel like a twist because the whole movie is setting up Dax as this uh, pinnacle of morality. Yeah, he's a hero legislator. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think the American audience, who this was made for, is all ready for a hero's journey. And in a hero's journey, typically the hero wins. Yeah. And he doesn't win. No, they die. They they get executed. It's very sad, and it, it's I it's a you good know twist, yeah. it's so hollow. I didn't think it was sad. I uh, I thought it was unexpected, and then I thought it was disappointing. But I never thought of it as sad. I guess. I I think the movie does a su- <laughs> super good job because it's disappointing. It's unexpected. And then we realize it was expected. This is the way things work. Yes. I How? I don't know. It, I didn't feel like tears welling no. up. I felt frustrated and disappointed, like you say. So maybe sad was the wrong word. But I feel like the whole point was you should be disappointed in your fellow man right now. Yes. And frustrated with them. So Frustrated. Yeah. yeah, I felt frustrated more than I felt sad. Yeah. Cool. Same page. Good point. Good call out. Uh, we cut to dinner now. Yum, yum, yum. They are eating something, Miro and Boulard. And they're just kind of talking about how the men died well. Uh, great deaths. Great deaths for the men. And Dax comes in and Miro, the absolute bastard who caused all this, says to Dax, you know, your men died well. And he just like stares him down and challenges him like, fucking say something. I dare you. I win, you lose. And then Brulard points out, you know, I heard you ordered the artillery to fire on your own men. Dax just told me it's the craziest thing. Miro freaks out, leaves. And then Brulard offers Dax the position of general. I think it's important to call out that he doesn't just freak out an inquiry will be brought against him. So... Yes. He will still have the reputation death that he might have had if he had lost the anthill fully without getting his little bit of retribution against the few battalions. And this is, is this not the same sentence that the three men had? They're like, yeah, there'll be an inquiry. It's just business. It's war. So Miro knows there will be an inquiry. He was just sentenced to death in that scene, pretty much. Oh, shit, maybe. It, I feel like because... Brillard, I mean, I don't know if generals down, get you know? shot by a firing squad. 
I suppose, yeah. But if they are treasonous and Maybe. massacring their own men with artillery... Could be. Uh, but this this kind of encapsulates... Or puts puts a cap, I guess would be the better phrase, on the frustration. Yes. Because Brulard well. offers Dax the position yes. of general. And mm-hmm. Dax is appalled. He's like, you can take your position and shove it up your ass, essentially... And Berlard he, is, not, he, he says it. Do you want to know where you can put it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Berlard is shocked. He's like, wait, you did all that maneuvering. Yeah, very careful planning for the promotion. Yeah. He calls it very careful planning. <laughs> and uh, then we find out that he's, uh, Dax is just a idealist. He's actually young. empathetic. Dax calls him a degenerate, sadistic old man, which yes. I think is very true. Mm-hmm. Because I think he is portrayed as a fun-loving guy, but because of the juxtaposition with there's a goddamn war happening, he is sadistic. Yeah. Because he can ignore all the death, and he's just like, ooh, tea in my general room. Yes. Ballroom dancing. Champagne. Yeah, he's Champagne he's jovial guns. throughout yeah, the movie. Yeah, jovial. And we and see him against Miro. Yeah. We see him against Miro, who's this intense asshole. Yeah, and he has this scar on his face, which yeah. I don't know what it's supposed to mean, but it probably implies that he's seen actual combat. Yeah. So he's Brillard is juxtaposed against his tense Miro, and then at the end we realize Brillard is Far more conniving, yeah. far more heartless and cold, and Dax realizes this too, and he he leaves him. Do you kind of want to cover this final scene? Because you you looked up some interesting stuff about. Well, it. all yeah, all that happens, all that happens. So it's a bunch of soldiers at a bar, and uh, it, it's kind of creepy, mostly because it's this young woman that gets brought out, and they're all cheering just because she's a woman. Which has its own implications, but the way it ends, the well, way the whole movie... What? Not so much implications, because the guy who brings her out, she's a prisoner of war. Right. And the guy says she has a lot of natural talents and gestures at her chest and body. So basically saying, like, yeah, she'll sing, and then we'll, like, strip her or something and torture her. Like, that's kind of what it seemed to me. And I was getting very nervous, because I thought... Some horrible stuff was going to happen here. That would have been a crazy ending. Yeah. That would have been a The Shining ending. So they have her sing, I can't remember the title of the song now, but in German at least. But in French, it's called Marjoram. And it's this song that has a melody that the French soldiers recognize. And she sings it in German, but they all stop whistling and eventually turn into humming along. And crying along with the song. Mm-hmm. And what the song's about is this young man goes off to war and leaves his lover behind. And he can't return to her until she's dying of some disease. So it's this uh, song about how war is actually super sad and it takes a lot from you. Which, what this whole movie is about, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they're enjoying it. And Dax comes upon the French... French soldiers at the bar and he hears them humming and he listens into the song and we find out they have to go out again but Dax says give them a few minutes more yeah so and yeah that's it and that's the end he marches yeah. off now 
one thing I want to ask, because there's a couple of war movies. A couple? Are on this list. Oh, on the list. I think a lot of them... I think this is one of the few movies about World War One yeah. that I'm aware of. There's at least two about World War Two or three. Well, because there's World also World War Hol- Three. There, no, there's two or three because there's also Holocaust movies. So Which we've are got World like World War Two movies. Yeah, so we've got like Saving Private Ryan the is pianist. on this list. The Pianist, and then Life Is Beautiful oh, and God. Schindler's List are on this list. Oh yeah. So what I want to ask. Mm-hmm. And this question might make me sound like an ass. No. So brace yourself. All right. But we pointed out early there. There's exactly one woman in this movie. And well, she, there's also the dancing women. Yes. Okay. There's one major woman. In this yes. Movie. Exactly. Okay. And she is used to contextualize all the men in the movie. Now, I don't remember much off the top about Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure there are no women in that movie. Not until the end with the family with Matt Damon. So, what I want to check, mm-hmm. what I want to get the pulse on is, the movie is about... As a woman. How we're approaching it. Okay. So, you point out, like, rep- like we, we already mentioned, World War One is worldwide. Yeah. There's a lot of different lenses they could look at this thing through. Sure. World, uh, 1917 did a really good job of including a woman into the story, I think. But again, just one. Yeah, but and less problematic one. Well, she did serve to contextualize the guy's, you know, caring nature. And mm-hmm. then she never showed up again. So, like, just as this woman contextualizes varying... soldiers' caring natures. Sure. They're varying. There are varying degrees of the way you can use womanhood. To juxtapose manhood. Okay. And I feel like the way 1917 did it is they treated the man and the woman as equals. Whereas this movie has a girl come up on stage crying and they get... She has her assets called out. Mm-hmm. So it's a very sexualized and um, demoralizing portrayal of the way womanhood can be perceived. Because I feel like the woman in 1917 is still portrayed as strong. Yeah, I mean, she's raising a fucking baby out in a literal shooting gallery. Mm-hmm. But ask your, please ask your question. So what I wanted to see is when we're looking at movies like World War One, French infantry, mm-hmm. there's, there's not going to be a woman like in that moment. Are we going to approach those with like an inclusion lens, like with... To jump ahead to a movie we have not watched in a while. Sure. Saving Private Ryan. Uh Uh-huh. The only woman that I can remember in that movie is Matt Damon's wife or child. So I think an important thing... Does it get knocks for that? Or... An important thing to think about is when a woman shows up, how do they treat that woman? Or would it be fair to say if they have an opportunity to have a woman show up and just don't, would that be... Sure, if they have an opportunity... If there's a blatant opportunity that they're disregarding, then sure, it can be perceived as problematic. But, I mean, there are truly contexts where, oh, it doesn't make sense to put a woman here. And I think that's fine. So, for this movie, my view would be, if there were no scene in a bar... Well, what if it was a little boy singing? Yeah, or a little... Why couldn't it be a child singing to represent innocence? Exactly. Okay, so if there were... No scenes in a bar or no singing scenes. 
mm-hmm. the complete absence of a woman character would not really be problematic because it makes sense in the setting. I yeah, I don't think I would have seen it as as problematic as they did because there were women in that ballroom scene, and oh, okay, it makes sense. Women women weren't at the war, but women were at the general's house, and maybe it doesn't make sense to have a woman included in the scene of the general's house because mm-hmm. they're not part of the war. That makes that makes sense. I think. Good conversation. That contextualizes like a lot because I feel like there's a lot of old movies on this list and there's probably going to be a lot of questionable depictions. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't think I would have had this thought come up if we didn't see a crying Aryan woman at the end of the movie singing like a little bird. I don't think I would have been like, that's the only woman. That's the only woman with a lot of screen time. How do you feel about the impact of that scene overall i thought it was dampened by the fact uh that it's 2020 and that's some bullshit yeah that's fair that's fair i feel like okay so with the lens of it's 1957 like what that scene represents is pretty impactful for the movie because it's this reminder of innocence and what life is like before the war and what the war is doing to these men and like connection across yeah, Boundary, exactly. like humanity. You know? Like, they call her a savage. They call German a savage language. Mm. But even this savage can move these men to tears. And still... Because there's this human connection. Yeah, and, and okay. And, and still, with all of that, it doesn't change the fact that, you know, it's some bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's a, that's a really good point. I agree 100%. Thank you for humoring my... My line of no, of course. I'd love to talk to you about anything. No, likewise. Yeah, I think you're very smart, and I appreciate that you have these questions for me. And yeah. I like that you're trying to broaden your worldview by getting the perspective of somebody that you might not necessarily have their perspective of. So I appreciate that you see me as an equal and a woman and a person you can have this conversation with, open and honestly. You're very sweet. You're I very sweet. That. You would melt in the rain. Now, I know that... There's very limited representation of white men in film. There are not so. nearly enough white men. <laughs> so if you ever have questions about what we see in any of these movies, <laughs> let me know. I'd be happy well, to. What's it like to have a penis? It's pretty great. I can aim when I pee. Wow. Uh, which is really convenient. <laughs> anyway. Is that the best part? <laughs> um... No, there's a lot of. <laughs> can lot you of uh, can so you there's... use it as a dowering rod to find water? I've never tried. <laughs> Jeez, the, the thoughts that pop up, I've been taking my penis for granted. <laughs> Next time I just. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> you better leave this in. Uh huh. Next time I pop a stiffy. Oh no! I'm gonna look for some water. <laughs> I'll just turn on the faucet. So, Thank you. Make it really easy for you. Okay, so we finished off the movie. Give, the, give us That's some pluses. That's implying that you have a sticky. Give us some pluses and minuses. Can you start over with the, we finished off the movie? We finished off the movie. Got the plot out of the way. Give us some pluses and minuses. And with minuses, uh, I know we talked extensively about a big minus. So covered a lot of ground there. Do you have anything outside of like... That final scene, like what? What are your biggest griefs with the movie, and what are what's some stuff that you liked a lot? Yeah, sure. So not socio political stuff, but the filmography, 
they do, since it's 1957, some of the cuts are kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Some of them are two scenes, and then they obviously just switch the transition opacity to show different scenes. So that kind of cut, I think, is always cheap, and I don't think we see it so much in 2020, which makes sense because the way stories progress is so much more chop, chop, chop. So we see cuts instead of transitions these days. And then there's this one scene at the end where Dax gets highlighted with, it's a big close-up on his face, and there's a lot of light on his face. He yeah. does some pretty dramatic shadowing. And I, I think that's really hokey. Yeah. yeah, hokey. And it's so much like, look at this hero. Yeah. Look at him stand up to the man. Exactly. Oh, Jesus, I think, okay. I think that's part of the perspective I have on 1957 movies, which is why I wasn't super excited about this movie. And I fell asleep more toward the middle, um, before the men got sent to death. So, so like just the before the battle. Scene and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so I did, I did fall asleep. I did get pretty bored at one point. So that's another negative, I think. What's a any surprise positives? Anything? Any surprise positives? Um, the commentary on what it means to be a hero, I think, was really poignant. Cool. Yeah, great. I I think as far as positives for me, I was really worried about watching a a fifties movie. Yeah. Thought it would be really boring, and overall, I was surprised by how kind of conniving everyone was and how engaging this you know backstabbing injustice driven world was and how people contended with it basically the the plot and characters i thought were really engaging yeah um, more so than i thought it would be and also some of the camera techniques like tracking shots and long shots through a trench and over a battlefield and all these explosions were really impressive I had such low expectations, I thought kind of we would just see a close-up and dirt being flung over people. Yeah, I, I think, exactly, like with Kubrick, uh, The Shining, I was surprised and impressed when they used that helicopter shot. Yes. So I think my perspective of older movies is more biased than it should be. Yes, I, I agree 100% I'm in the same boat. The, um, what, what I was going to say, this... I don't know if this is a positive or a negative because it's positive for the movie, but it's a negative for like every other war movie. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of reset my expectations of war movies because I have no idea the lineage of war movies. I imagine that this is one of the early greats as far as war movies go because you've got World War One to draw from and make commentary on, essentially with art such as Passive Glory. And World War Two is fairly recently finished. Mm-hmm. So forty three. I don't recall. I I I think around then. So what my point is is that we see stuff like nineteen seventeen, and as we watch this movie, it's like oh nineteen seventeen was inspired by this clearly, and we see stuff like war movies such as Saving Private Ryan yeah. and um, you know Vietnam movies and all this stuff, and it just feels like this movie set the bar for. Long takes, battle scenes, human reckoning with war, and it feels like war I movies... I feel, no, uh, I think we should probably call out that humans reckoning with war has been a long-standing conversation. 
with the Great War? With the Great, with great with, Wars? I think like, Dulce et Decorum est Perpetua Mori, that whole poem, yeah. and Paths of Glory, and yada yada, were all written about World War One. so it's just different mediums. So there was tons of poetry written about how shitty World War One was, and I think Johnny Get Your Gun, that might have been World War Two. But I don't. I don't think it's fair to say that this movie set anything. Okay. With uh, war perception. As far as my my personal perception of movies, then. Like. Uh, I'm just saying you're wrong. Yes. <laughs> that, that's fair. So, there's so many. There's a few genres. I shouldn't say so many. Sure. But when you think of the genre drama. Yeah. There's so much that can be handled within that. Like, Spotlight is a drama, and. Yep. Um. Now I'm just blanking on movies, but... Uh, the Farewell is a drama. The Farewell is a drama. Room is a drama. So when you think of drama, there's all this stuff. But then when you think of, like, dramatic war movie, mm-hmm. it's trench shots, uh, I think battle. war movie is its own genre that inherently has drama within it. Okay, so great. So war movies... Gangster movies. Yeah, exactly. It feels like these movies are so tied into a formula. Mm-hmm. And watching Paths of Glory made that even more present to me. Okay. Uh, whereas, because it's been ingrained into the media since the 50s? Yeah, 100%. Sure, sure, sure. And okay, it, so it movie making... Like, yeah, so it, I don't know if that's a positive for this movie no, or negative it's, for it's future movies. It transcended media and showed its way... In a negative light, which we maybe haven't seen in older movies. Because I don't know many older war movies, so yeah, I think yeah. that doesn't help. Yeah. So that's call. my positives. Okay. That's my sure. positives. Uh, negatives would just be sound design. It's probably shitty to critique it for it, but it's uh, it's not aged well, sure. I don't think. And also some hokey shots. Okay. So. You want to rate this thing on three? Yeah. One, two, three, seven. Seven and a half? Seven and a half. Cool. Why why seven? Well, uh, like I said. Because of what you said? It feels like the base formula. and Is it a base formula if you have made the formula? Well, that's the thing. Just from my perception, it feels like I've seen all this stuff before in more modern takes and... It's not fair to fault. They've the just movie improved for upon that. the recipe. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of you like, can still say, I don't like this Rice Krispie because there isn't enough marshmallow fluff in it. This this marshmallow crispy from twenty twenty is better because I can have the sweetness and the crunchiness, but my hands don't get as sticky. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, and I feel like this is my personal opinion. I don't think you really have to give props to the originator of trends because they're the originator. I feel like when you look up top Hot 10... Hot take. Hot take. So I feel like if you look up top 10 lists, you're going to find stuff that you're not... Top 10 in general. Sure, yeah. Uh, you'll find stuff at the top like, hey, this hasn't been the cleanest, but it's it's super tight and it's kicked like Half-Life 2 with FPS. Sure. You know, Everyone will put Half-Life 2 as the best FPS ever. And now you play it, and it's like, yeah, it's good. But just because it modernized FPS doesn't mean that we have to say it's better than things that have iterated upon it and improved stuff about it. Okay, so, yeah. Um, no, I like it. I like um, 
I like the fact that we can build upon the tower of cinema. Yeah. From Kubrick's old films to Kubrick's newer films to what comes out uh, from Sam Mendes even. So it's, it's it's nice to know that there's opportunity to make something new and better. It's nice to know that 1917, if we were rated, would get a better rating than uh, Path to Glory because they've had all this time, they've had all this technique, uh, just a lot of opportunity for education and making something out of the... Well, not the scraps of other directors, because right. I wouldn't say this movie's scrappy at all. But I, yeah, I agree with you. Um, that almost makes me want to give it a seven instead, because I did fall asleep. So, do you want to? Well, I don't want to bring it down. I mean, you've given. I mean. Higher, you've given lower than eights to movies that you stayed awake through. Yeah, so I guess <laughs> uh, we'll call this a seven. Okay. We'll call it a seven. Well, thanks for listening. Tweet at us at. Um, RMR underscore podcast on Twitter. On Twitter. And then we have a Gmail. We do. Rookie Movie Review at gmail.com. No S. And Rookie Movie Reviews with an S. On Facebook. .com is our website. If you have that S positive Rookie Movie Reviews at gmail.com, reach out to us. Come we, we'd like to chat. <laughs> right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I appreciate it if you listened. Um, if you disagree with me, fight me. And disagree with me, suck my butt. Whoa. All right. Have a good one, bye listeners. Bye.